Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Life's full of surprises, isn't it? Hey, have you noticed that? This time yesterday, I didn't know I'd be here doing this. Great privilege, but I didn't know. But Jeremy apparently got sick, and then Aaron was going to speak, and Aaron got sick, and so you've got me this morning. Gwenda's sick, but I'm not. But anyway, it's great to be with you. And the Bible says, be instant in season and out of season. And I always can consider it a great privilege to minister Christ to people. So it's not a hardship, it's a privilege. I had an obligation last night, so time was pretty crowded. And uh, now I'm here, but that's a great privilege. Hmm, I don't know if I'd turn... I, had a, I have a very good friend in Australia, and he came across, and he was speaking at Total Springs many years ago, and somebody who knew, should have known better said, that was cold porridge to him. Well, I hope this isn't cold porridge, even though I've given it once before, and that it was a Fitty Auto Bible Church in the month of May, where I was invited to take, and had the privilege of taking a series on the book of Proverbs, so I'm taking the same message this morning. Cameron and Carol were probably there, so, and they probably remembered every word. So. Anyway, great to see you, and so we take a look at Proverbs. Some years ago, I was given this book by Nick and Joe for a birthday present, and it's called, as they say in Zanzibar, and it's a book of Proverbs from all over the world, and there are thousands of them. Now, I'm just going to do something a bit risky. I'm just going to take a few of them at random and see if we can work them out. Here's one from Belgium. While in battle, you cannot lend your sword. Hmm. Sometimes you have to hear these things in context, don't you, to know exactly what they are. And here's another one, and I'll just read it quickly before I read it out, just in case. In Switzerland, it says a proverb places the words in one's mouth. So I suppose it gives you the ability to reply if you've got a few proverbs. Here's one from England. A change is as good as a rest. Well, we sort of know that one. Hmm. The one who carries the bludgeon owns the buffalo from India. Hmm. I've got a clue what that means. But anyway... The world is full of proverbs, and in our Maori culture, proverbs are very much a part of life, but they're not in our English-speaking culture in New Zealand. My mother was always spouting out proverbs, but it seems that proverbs are dying in our culture. But we sort of know half proverbs. For example, if I say to you, a person in a glass house shouldn't throw stones. So you know half of it. Or, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. A stitch in time saves nine. Okay, so you know what a proverb is, and we're looking this morning at the book of Proverbs, and it's introductory. In Hebrew, this book is called the Proverbs of Solomon. And I just want to read the introduction to the book, and it's the introduction to our message this morning. I was told that we have 25 minutes, so if I'm still going in 25 minutes, you have my permission to stand up, turn your back, go out. I won't take the exception. 
and eventually if there's nobody left, I'll stop. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm working this morning from the New Living Bible, or the New Living Translation, and it is a translation. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. Yet let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Someone has said that a proverb is the wisdom of many in the wit of one. I'll say it again. It's the wisdom of many in the wit of one. So there's an accumulation of general knowledge and somebody has got that knowledge and put it into a memorable saying. And we know those sayings, at least some of them. And as you go through the Bible, you actually find that there are a lot of Proverbs, not just in the book of Proverbs. For example, and I've got a few of them here, 1 Kings chapter 20. A warrior putting on a sword for battle should not boast like a warrior who's already won. And you see the wisdom there, and that is, before you start the fight, don't skite, don't boast. When you've finished, you may take some satisfaction. Well, here's another one, Ezekiel 18 and 2. The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. In other words, the children are suffering from what their parents have done. And as you go in the book of Proverbs, they're not just Proverbs. You actually find in the introduction that we read that they're sometimes sayings, and they're not just of Solomon. In, a, in a First Kings chapter 4, we have these words. It's talking about the man who compiled these Proverbs. He didn't write them all, but he compiled them. He, Solomon, was, has, oh, should I read it from my own notes so I can see it more easily. He was wiser than anyone else. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. So they're not just from Solomon. You find, for example, there are words of the wise. There's a saying of Lemuel. There's a person called Agur, and his sayings are also recorded. But anyway, he composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the uh, tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Now, he takes these 
3,000 proverbs and he condenses them into 513 that we have in the inspired book. God's breath is on this book. Now, one of the interesting things about proverbs is that they're not promises. They're generalities. They're usually true. And sometimes it can leave us heartbroken because we take as a promise what it says Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. And you brought your children up in the fear of the Lord, but they've departed from it meanwhile. And you say, does God over-promise and under-deliver? Well, the answer is no, because it's not a promise, it's a proverb. That's how it normally is. If you're interested in a particular pursuit, your children probably will be interested in that same pursuit. That's how it generally is. But it's not a promise, so don't let a misunderstanding of the Proverbs discourage you. Now, the key to the book is that which we read in verse 7, and it says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, the pivotal words there are fear and wisdom. So very quickly, I just want to take a look at what it means, the fear of the Lord. And I want to take two approaches. And the first is that the fear of the Lord is an attitude, and the attitude is reverence. But the fear of the Lord is also an asset, and the asset is wisdom. So that's upon which I'm going to base my comments. By the way, some of you who are more used to the authorised version will find that the key verse reads something like this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But those who know a lot more about these things than I know say, and that's not hard, but anyway, they say that a better translation is what we have here in the New Living Translation. It is the foundation of true living and true knowledge. And the book of Proverbs is written initially to young people. And Solomon is writing primarily to his sons. If he was writing to his daughters, he'd say other things and different things, but he's writing to young people and he's writing to sons. And he's saying, if you want a good life, and the title that I had for the series at Fidiota was The Good Life, if you want a good life, build it upon this, the fear of the Lord, and if you take this attitude, you'll have a good life. doesn't mean to say you'll have a trouble-free life, but it does mean you'll have a good life. It means you'll have a life that is tranquil, and you'll have a life that is good, and a life that's worthwhile. So the first approach that I want to take is this, that the fear of the Lord is an attitude. Now, attitude is defined in the concise Oxford Dictionary as a settled way of thinking. So if you want a good life, if you want a worthwhile life, and even though it will not be without its problems, but if you want a life that's worthwhile, then adopt the fear of the Lord. Make that your attitude. And when I preach to you, I'm speaking very much to myself. And if you do that, you will have a good life. And I'll say to you young people, make decisions this morning that can change the direction of your life and you'll have a worthwhile life that contributes to society and that pleases the mind of God. And of course, as we come to the Bible and we come to the book of Proverbs, the assumption is that we do want to fear the Lord. So we take the subject 
this morning. The first mention of the fear of the Lord is in the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a man of faith, and he's a good man, and all that kind of thing, but he was human, and he was frightened. He was always frightened of being killed. You know, they were vicious times, and he was married to Sarah, and she was beautiful. And whenever he went into a new tribe, he was frightened that people would want to marry her, and they would kill him, Abraham, in order to marry her. And so he would tell a lie, I mean, it was a half lie, that Sarah was his sister. And so we do have the first mention of the expression, the fear of the Lord, in that situation when Abraham, or the Bible says, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. They won't do it if there's a fear of God, but if there's no fear of God, they may do it. And the thing that we need to recapture these days, ladies and gentlemen, not only for the young but for all of us, is to recapture a fear of the Lord. And that's what we're looking at this morning. When we come to the writings of Moses and the experience of Moses, we find that he's given the Ten Commandments and he comes down from the mountain. And you actually find that there's lightning and there's thunder and there's smoke and there's a sound of the ram's horn and the people are frightened and they say to Moses, you speak to God but don't let us speak to God. And then Moses says to them, and the verse is coming up in the screen, don't be afraid for God has come this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Now you'll notice that. Don't be afraid, but be afraid of God. So the fear that is being talked about is not being scared. It's not designed to scare us, but it's designed to sanctify us. And so it's not a matter of shivering in our boots, but it's a matter of saying, I have great awe of God. When I was developing the message in preparation for Fertiorda, I was talking with Richard about it, and he gave this illustration. He said, sometimes it can be looked like this. He said, you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you're looking a mile down, and you're frightened because if you faint or fall, you'll die, and so you're frightened. Step back. Put a safety fence in front of you, and you look down the canyon, and this time it's not fear but it's awe. And you bring those two ideas together and you find that the fear of the Lord is to stand in a reverential awe of Him. And ladies and gentlemen, that's one thing that we all need to recapture because sometimes we treat God as if He were a genie in a bottle somehow and we have a need of help and so we rub that little lantern and God appears and says, what do you want me to do? And sometimes we treat God as a commodity and we forget that he's the omnipotent one, he's the omniscient one, he's the omnipresent one, he's the immutable one, he is a majestic one, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's our God. And when we come together, ladies and gentlemen, not let us think that we're coming to do God a favor. And let us not think that we're trying to get in his good book so that he'll 
give us good things when we need them. God is God. And what we need is to recapture the fear of God. In the next slide that's coming up, we actually find those early days of the church. And it says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. They were joyful days. They were days of an explosion not only of numbers, but an explosion of love for God. You couldn't keep these people quiet because they had the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Now, what does it look like in real life? And I just want to take two very quickly, I want to take quickly two very simple cases. And the first is that of a man called Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Joseph was a good man. You don't actually find the expression, the fear of the Lord here, but that's what he did do. He feared the Lord. And it says, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And because he was living in the fear of the Lord, he was a very generous man. What he had, the Lord could have. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. And so you find that generosity was the result of his fearing the Lord. I mentioned before that sometimes we treat God as some kind of commodity. He's a quantity somehow. He's, I don't know how much he's worth, but he's a commodity and sometimes we'll need to call on him. Here's a quotation from a man who had a big influence upon my life and the life of many people of my generation, A.W. Tozer. Some of you older people will know the name. And one of the statements that I copied out goes like this. Jesus Christ has today almost no authority at all among the groups that call themselves by his name. The present position of Christ in the gospel churches may be likened to that of a king in a limited constitutional monarchy. The king is in such, in, the king is in such a country no more than a traditional rallying point, a pleasant symbol of unity and loyalty, much like a flag or a national anthem. He is lauded, fated and supported, but his real authority is small. Nominally, he's head overall, but in every crisis, someone else makes the decisions. But when you fear the Lord, what he says goes. When we fear the Lord and we read in Scripture that we're to love our enemies, we don't hate him anymore. And when we're told in Scripture that we must forgive others, we forgive them, we don't hold bitterness against them anymore because, you see, he's the head. He's the Lord. He's the one who leads the way. He's the one who makes decisions for us. He has given us the way to go, and we obey him if we fear him. But if we don't fear him, we'll do our own thing, and we'll do things my way. When we talk about wisdom, it seems to be a little bit beyond us, you know, I'll never be wise and I'll never be that kind of person the Bible talks about. Yes, you can. 
I mean, you see, you don't become wiser by getting older. But you get wiser by changing your attitudes and reading Scripture and putting it into, prison, into, into practice. Now, here's a verse that I find quite helpful. Proverbs 2. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. So do you see the word common sense? And so wisdom is God-guided common sense. You bring wisdom to life, and it teaches you how to live with integrity. I've got three minutes. <clears throat> the second approach is that the fear of the Lord is an asset, and the asset that it brings is wisdom. And it says in Proverbs, better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and in a turmoil. When you come to the book of Proverbs, it's, it's different from other books. I mean, if you go to the law, you find that in the first five books of the Bible, you find that it has demands. You have to do this, and if you don't do that, you may die and be stoned. That's the law. When you come to the prophets, you find that they're thundering against sin, and you say, woo, who can stand? When you come to the book of Proverbs, you find that it's talking about the nitty-gritty of life, how to have a good life, how to get on with your neighbor, how to treat your mum and dad, how to look after your kids, how to work well at work, all that kind of thing. The nitty-gritty of life, not like the law, not like the thundering of the prophets, but it's the kind of life that you and I live and it's the kind of wisdom that we need. Let's see. Theo, I think we'll go to slide number 14. Now the question that we have is, how can I embrace this godly fear? And the first thing is, keep God's name holy. I guarantee you that you can't turn television on for an evening and not hear the name of God blasphemed. And probably I could guarantee that you couldn't walk down the streets of Cambridge for a few minutes and not and hearing people and not hear his name rubbished. And when we pray what is called the Lord's Prayer, we say, hallowed be your name. That is, may your name be kept holy. And ladies and gentlemen, we can begin by never treating the name of God mindlessly, never using the name of God in a joke. But we keep it holy. And the other thing that I would suggest is to defeat temptation. 1 Corinthians, words of St. Paul. The temptations in your life are different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And we can strengthen our resistance. And that's another subject for another day. I have a quotation here from David Jeremiah, and some of you listen to him, read his books, as do I. And it says, There's nothing Satan can throw at you that you cannot overcome. But the time to prepare is now. And we would say the time is now. 
Make decisions now. Before 11 o'clock, make decisions now. By the time to prepare is now. When Satan attacks, you won't have time to Google spiritual armor. You won't have time to phone a friend for advice on the counter-attack. You may not even have time to get down on your knees and pray, you must be prepared. And so we prepare ourselves and we say to the Lord, Lord, I honor your name. I want to please you. I never want to anger you. But I want to always be in awe. And as the Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. Therefore, we live in reverence and awe. And the third thing that I would mention is to enjoy your beliefs. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. And that's true, ladies and gentlemen. Want a worthwhile life, young people? You've got your life ahead of you, or it seems to be that way. And it seems to be an unceasing sea, a sea of years. I was a young person myself yesterday. <laughs> but now is the time to make that decision that you're going to give your life completely to God. And you say, God, I want a greater understanding of you. I want to live my life in awe of you. I love you, Lord. Take my life. Use me. Help me to contribute to society. Help me to help in the church. I'm yours. Let's all pray. There's a prayer coming up on the screen, and if it helps you, if it reflects how you feel as the Spirit of God has moved among us this morning, and as He's spoken to our hearts in ways that we cannot ignore, we may say, may pray something like this, Lord, my Lord, Please help me to always stand in awe of you and to maintain reverence for your name. Please forgive me in the flippant way in which I sometimes treat you in your name. May your joy always be my strength. Let's take 20 seconds. The best time to respond to the word of God is now. Not even this afternoon, certainly not next year, but now. And now we can make decisions that can affect the rest of our lives. And maybe we feel hollow and we feel that we're running on empty. But now we rededicate ourselves to the Lord and we say, Lord, help me to live in the fear of you. Loving you. Reverencing you. Standing in awe of you. Let's all pray silently, 20 seconds, as we express our hearts before the Lord. Lord, you've heard every prayer as a group of people, as one of those meetings known as churches, as a group of people, we give ourselves again to you. Please forgive our sins. Please use us. Please help us to love one another. Please help us to always fear you. 
We pray from our hearts, and we pray in the name of your Son. Amen.